This week on Uncover the Human, we are joined by the founder of Embody Coaching, Matthias Hartmann. Matthias has one of the most frank and straightforward explanations about the importance of authenticity, how we hide it from ourselves, and how we can get the most out of experiencing our authentic selves. And that's the core of this entire show. I actually enjoyed this conversation so much, I think I threw him off a little bit by smiling a little too much on the recording. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. Welcome to Uncover the Human, where every conversation revolves around enhancing all the connections in our lives. Whether that's with our families, co-workers, or even ourselves. When we can be our authentic selves, magic happens. This is Christina Amigoni. And this is Alex Cullimore. Let's, Let's dive, dive in. in. Authenticity means freedom. Authenticity means going with your gut. Authenticity is bringing 100% of yourself. Not just the parts you think people want to see, but all of you. Being authentic means that you have integrity to yourself. It's the way our intuition is whispering something deep-rooted and true. Authenticity is when you truly know yourself. You remember and connect to who you were before others told you who you should be. It's transparency, relatability, no frills, no makeup, just being. Well, hello and welcome back to this episode of Uncover the Human. We are joined this week by our guest, Matthias Hartman, who comes to us from Amsterdam, is it? Maastricht in the Netherlands, Maastricht in the South. Oh, great, great, okay. That's awesome. So we're coming across the pond this morning. We are here to talk to him because he has he is the owner and founder of Embody Coaching, Embody Life Coaching, which is a unique approach to both using your body and finding your authentic self. So obviously a good fit for what we love talking about here. Welcome, Matthias. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome. So you've uh, done a lot of work around coaching towards getting towards your authentic self and you have a whole embody coaching practice that you work on. So what, in your opinion, is kind of the link between finding your authentic self and, and some of the approach that you've developed? Alex, lots of customers and clients, I should say, come to me with tons of different subjects and issues and problems. And interestingly enough, all of them somehow show up in the body. It shows up in your breathing, it shows up in your posture, it shows up in your, you may have tension or tingling or the body talks. However, the body doesn't speak English. So it's a slightly slower approach uh, to get the clients into the body, but all issues clients bring to me show up somewhere in the body. The second question lots of clients bring to me is, I no longer know how to be myself. And for them, being their authentic self is something about knowing. They use their mind to know about their authentic self. For me, it's being your authentic self. So I focus on the being part, not on the knowing part. And my clients, they are highly intelligent people, mid-career professionals. They focus on their mental activities. They tend to ignore their body. And it's a difficult, yeah, subject for them to actually feel and to really feel the resistance to become closer to their authentic self. So I just I still use their mind and the intellect and their yeah the focus is on the body. I love that approach because we kind of tend to think of emotions as this thing that only exists in your head as if it's somehow separate from the body that has created your mind in the first place. So it always ends up being some kind of physicality, but we are definitely not always in touch with that. And I really love that. You have also a great metaphor for explaining authentic stuff. You want to explain a little bit about the sun idea? Uh, Yeah, I love the sun and the clouds uh, metaphor. For me, the authentic self is the sun and the sun is always shining and the sun is always there. And you can't develop the sun. In other words, you can't develop your authentic self. And everything in between you and your authentic self, those are the clouds. So my approach is focusing on the clouds, not trying to develop the sun, which you can't do anyway. So I focus in my coaching approach approach on the clouds. And there are two major categories of clouds. One of them are suppressed emotions, emotions we don't want to feel. And the other ones are those internal characters. And I'm pretty sure everybody's familiar with the people pleaser, with the, with the victim, uh, with the avoider, uh, with the rationale. All of those people, those internal characters, I call them. Both of them, they're closely linked. And those are called the clouds, which are clouding you being in touch with your authentic self. 
That's a great metaphor. And it touches on two key things that you mentioned, the emotions and the internal characters, which we all have. Right. So when you have these individuals that come to you, which, as you mentioned, they think very much with their head. They think everything is about knowing, not being. And emotions, as we know, it's about being, not knowing. <laughs> it's about understanding, but it's about being. How do you get them to start embracing that concept? I ask them, obviously, they come with the subject. They tell me about their frustrations or their aspirations and what is on their way. And then I ask them, how do you feel about this? And then they say, okay, I'm frustrated. I'm angry. I'm sad. And I said, okay, let's focus on that frustration. Let's focus on that anger. Let's focus on that sadness. Let's focus on that emotion. Okay. And why don't you close your eyes? Okay. And where do you feel that frustration? Where do you feel that anger? And then I slowly, step by step, I have them focus or move away from the mental thinking about my frustration at work or whatever it is and actually enter their body and access their body and feel that frustration, whatever that problem does to you, try to feel that in the body. However, that takes a bit longer because if you completely disconnect from your neck down for years and decades, <laughs> especially men, it takes a bit longer for them to access their body. It's like, okay, where do I feel this? Oh, I feel a block in my throat. Or I feel like a stone is on like the heart. Or I feel like a contriction in my neck or whatever. Or temperature changes. Or I look at the posture. I look at their breathing. And then that's how we can identify where a certain emotion is located physically in the body. For them, it's, it's a big surprise. Yeah, that makes sense. I definitely, uh, and I think I was first introduced some of this idea by Brene Brown talking about some like shame responses. She would feel like sweaty palms or things like that. And I started to notice yeah. and think about that in my own life. There's definitely things like I feel stress in my neck. I feel, uh, you know, you can feel when your stomach suddenly turns or you, you know, some physical symptom of something is coming up. But I love your yeah. uh, expression earlier that it doesn't speak English. <laughs> yeah, they don't speak English. And nonetheless, all of those symptoms we don't like to feel. So how do we feel better? Oh, why don't we just have a drink? Or why don't we just like do some binge shopping or watching or whatever it is? And we don't like those physical sensations, the kind of interfere we think with our mental activities. Oh, I need to go into a meeting. I don't have time for this now. I can't focus on the block in my stomach. I can't focus on tension in my heart. I, have to, I need to do this and that. And uh, so let's, let's pop a pill and let's carry on. And what happens when they yeah. don't make time for that? At one point of time, it completely backfires because uh, the body can only take that much. So after a while, the body just says, stop. And in the worst case, it comes to burnout or, or worse, a heart attack or physical like sicknesses. When, once we ignore the body for too long. So I like your categorization of there being the two kind of main areas. You've got painful emotions that people tend to avoid and you've got internal characters. Is there a link between these two? I feel like these might be related. Um, Alex, there's a big link between those two. And let me just start with the emotions. There are emotions which are really painful. Think about abandonment. Think about rejection. Think about shame. Think about feeling worthless, feeling powerless. Those are strong emotions. And we tend to then come up with an adaptive behavior in order not to feel rejected, in order not to feel ashamed, in order not to feel powerless or worthless, whatever it is. And this adaptive behavior allows you to actually function again. Let's say you are, let me give you an example, you feel rejected. And in order to not feel rejected, you realize, oh, if I please people, I don't feel rejected. And then the people please is being created in you because you realize, oh, I don't feel rejected when I please people or I feel safe when I avoid conflict or I get praise once I'm a hyper achiever. I'm accepted once I'm perfect. All of those things, then they, this adaptive behavior creates those internal characters. Another word for internal character would be like ego states or personas, yeah, sub-personalities. It's just a different word for an internal character. But they're closely linked. So the emotion, the, the, the painful emotional experience creates those internal characters. And those internal characters, one, then allow you 
to not feel the original emotion. Because once you are a people pleaser, and you, which is being created by your fear of being rejected, then this people pleaser protects you from feeling the emotional pain of being rejected. So that's how they are linked. That's so powerful. It's interesting because just hearing you talk about those emotions made me feel <laughs> in my body this yeah. like constriction of my lungs that I couldn't breathe, which is why I stepped away to take a deep breath and came back from the script. <laughs> wow. And Christina, thank you for saying that because when I give this list to, to my clients, there's not a single one who has been experiencing almost all of them. And by the age of six, even if you've grown up in the most loving, caring family, by the age of six, we all have one point of time experienced rejection, shame, humiliation, powerlessness, worthlessness. And because there's always somebody at school who just shames you for not having the latest iPhone or a bigger brother who just uh, makes you feel powerless or whatever it is, by the age of six, we all have had those experiences, even in the best house of families. And that's an important uh, number to age six, because there's not necessarily a lot of uh, memories forming before that point that we can consciously access, but we are still training. The brain is still being trained throughout all of those. And by the time right. we are you know, six yeah. or seven, we still have those responses. Yeah, correct. And since we talk about the authentic self here, or being your authentic self, once you realize that, oh, pleasing people, allows me not to feel shame or being rejected, then you carry on with that behavior. Once you realize that avoiding conflicts makes you feel safe, you carry on avoiding conflict. You actually become successful being your internal character. And the longer it's pays off to be your internal character instead of your authentic self, they actually the internal character blends over shadows your authentic self. And if you do this for a few years and decades, obviously you no longer know what it's like to be yourself. And allow me just to throw in some interesting facts from the neuroscience here. Because once we feel rejected and shamed, we change our behavior in order to get approval, in order to get appraisal, in order to get feel secure, in order to get love or care. And from the neuroscience scientific aspect, it is interesting, once you get love and care, oxytocin is being released into your brain. Oxytocin is the, the, the bonding uh, hormone. So then the brain makes you feel good. Oh, instead of being rejected, I get love and care. And the body releases oxytocin. Or for example, you feel powerless and all of a sudden you, you change your behavior. And in such a way that you get praise, the brain then releases dopamine into your brain and the reward hormone, you feel good. So the brain then reinforces through uh, biochemical, neurochemicals into your brain, your behavior. So we basically hardwire your internal character, which then clearly overshadows your authentic self. That's what's happening. Uh, like what you said, the internal characters and the emotions become these clouds around the sun and that becomes your reality, you become so shadowed by it. And that's a good extension of the metaphor, too. But I also want to highlight quick. You talked about not being able to develop the sun so much. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? And like you've got this self that's always there. Correct. The self is always there. Your authentic self is always there. There is no point trying to develop your authentic self. That's why I have a big issue with the whole idea of self-development. For me, that is just simply a contradiction in terms. You cannot develop your authentic self. Your authentic self, that's it. That's who you are and, and how you are. And that's why I, yeah, I have a big problem with this, with this self-development idea. What's happening or how you should classify is it's actually the internal character development. That's what's happening. Because imagine you are a perfectionist. You are full of self-doubt. So then this is your main character. You are a perfectionist. And so this, when you then go and want to develop your authentic self, what is happening? You will develop the shortcoming of the perfectionist. And that's what's happening. 
but by this is actually quite dangerous is a big word, but by balancing off the shortcoming of the perfectionist through self-development, you make that perfectionist even more acceptable. You make that internal character even stronger. And the stronger it becomes, the more difficult it is to actually see and feel and be your authentic self because you actually now reinforced the internal character in such a way through self-development that you say, okay, that's me. And when I speak initially to clients, they come to coaching and say, well, I'm a procrastinator. I, whatever, I'm a perfectionist. I'm obsessed about this, whatever. I tell them a part of you is procrastinating. A part of you is shy. A part of you is whatever, focused on that. And that's how I try to unblend the two. That's how I try to separate the authentic self, who's not procrastinating, who's not whatever, and the internal character. Simply by saying, no, you don't hate, a part of you hates your job. And that makes people think, oh, okay, oh, I never thought about this, because they just completely identify with the internal character. They no longer are in touch with their authentic self. They think, I'm a perfectionist, or I'm a rationale, or I'm, I'm a victim, or uh, I'm a people pleaser, I'm an avoider, whatever it is. They completely identify with internal character. And I, in coaching, I just, initially, I try to just unblend, take those two apart. So let me play devil's advocate here for a second. Sure. So let's say, you know, my internal character is people-pleasing and totally randomly choose, chosen. Okay. Because I've never <laughs> experienced rejection in my life. So, <laughs> you know, so that's protecting me and it's working for me. I think it's working for me because it is protecting me. Why should I change? If you are completely happy being a people pleaser, that's fine. However, your people pleaser was created at one point of time, Christina, in your life when you experienced emotional pain. And your people pleaser protects you from not feeling that emotional pain. And the people pleaser in you has a positive intent. However, at the end of the day, the people piece of protects you from, as I mentioned, from feeling that emotional pain, original emotional pain. So you do everything possible to not feel that pain again. And if you want to be your authentic self, you would have one point in your life face up to the fact that I'm actually suppressing rejection, shame, worthlessness, powerlessness, whatever it is. If you find not being your authentic self and being a people pleaser for the rest of your life, good for you. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But then we will never work together because once we would work together, I would actually unblend you from your people pleaser and make you feel that original painful experience. That's why people shy away from that experience. It's easier not to feel. So what does it look like on the other side of having experienced the painful? If you dive in, you take your approach, you go feel that painful experience. What happens on the other side of that? What value do you get out of going through that? You use energy to not feel. A lot of energy. You resist yourself. A lot of energy is being spent not feeling all aspects of who you are. Once you accept and integrate, let's say, the shame or the rejection, you can actually release that energy and use it for something more positive. But it's a very painful process to actually be in that space and be in that emotion. But that's why yeah, coaching is not always a pleasant experience or fair, because I make you feel what you don't want to feel. When we don't feel that, we're basically exercising death by a thousand paper cuts. We're doing just tiny, tiny, very subtle wounds to ourselves to feel better for a little bit of time <laughs> while never experiencing just one. That's why where coaching comes in, because I create the safe environment for you to actually be with your emotion. You don't want to feel you have been suppressing for, for decades. And it's a process to be in that space. And it's, yeah, unpleasant. It's painful, but your nervous system 
then realizes, wow, I'm not dying. I carry on breathing. My life carries on. People feel lighter. People feel an expansion. Like, wow, I'm still around. I just integrated this now. Wonderful. Now let's go and do something with my life. It doesn't hold you down anymore. You don't spend energy suppressing an important aspect of who you are. That's beautiful to see. You see also physically the shift. But when the tension, because tension allows you not to feel. Once you can let go of the tension, my goodness, you, you see it in, in the client's faces. I keep thinking about like uh, the metaphor. I like that tension tension metaphor. And I really, I think that's a, one of the best explanations I've heard of why, because I always think about it. I've had good moments where I feel like I've reintegrated pieces and I feel some of that freedom. But that was a really good, succinct description of what that feels like on the other side. And it makes me think of like, I like that tension metaphor of like a muscle that's in tension. You can't use it to its full expression until you've resolved that. You won't be able to have your full flexibility of motion, whatever you want to do with that, until you have some of that release. And I think that's a wonderful way of describing it. And the energy-wise, that definitely feels true when, when you realize how much energy you have put into keeping that mask on, that internal character up. Yeah. And Alex, 10 out of 10 clients of mine are tired. And to be in character, to be in your internal character 24-7 is tiring. Imagine you're a people pleaser. You're not your authentic self. Imagine you're a people pleaser, like Christina is a people pleaser here in our exercise. Christina is people pleasing 24-7 for years and decades. Or she's a conflict avoider at work from Monday till Friday. Or she is just the perfectionist. Whatever. It's tiring to be your internal character from Monday till Friday or for months and years and even decades. People are tired. Be an internal character. And because it just takes energy to please people 24-7. It takes energy to avoid conflict. It takes energy just to be perfect. It takes energy to be a hyperachiever. And if you do this and you no longer are in touch with your authentic self, you're basically completely blended with your internal character and you play that internal character for decades. That's tiring. That energy, as you said, like we feed on, if we use it to to avoid, to repress, to be our internal characters, we can't use it for other things like creativity, innovation, new ideas, open-mindedness, collaboration, change, anything like that. All of that goes out yeah. the window. Yeah, correct. Completely agree. I just feel yeah, bad for people coming to me completely tired because they are for 100% hyperachiever or 100% a perfectionist. They no longer know what it's like to be their authentic self because they spend so much energy on the internal character. I just want to make sure that people understand that the internal character has a positive intention. That behavior which you have adapted based on the original emotion, which was painful, that internal character allows you not to feel. I, for example, I'm a punctual perfectionist. I don't care about being punctual. I care what, what it feels be late. A hyperachiever couldn't care less about hyperachieving. A hyperachiever cares what it's like to fail. A people pleaser couldn't care less about pleasing people. A people pleaser cares what it's like not to be liked. And that's not to be liked is so dangerous for the system that they just prefer to please people because not being liked is just a terrible feeling. And not being liked is just one step away from feeling rejected. And the people please allows you to not feel that rejection again. And it does it by just making by telling you or you're feeling it. Oh, if you if I'm not liked by people, ooh, that's terrible. So I'd rather please people be liked in order to not feel the original rejection. So they have a positive intent of internal character. Well, if we stick to the people pleaser example, eventually you're going to re be rejected and eventually you're going to be not liked. And so now you're in this conflict where like, well, but I'm doing everything <laughs> that I should be doing to people please and be liked and not be rejected. And yet it happens anyway. It happens anyway. But certainly we feel rejection and we, we are pleasing people and that we've been rejected often in, in our lives. But what is the, how intense was the original 
rejection experienced by the age of six. That can at times could have been even traumatic. So depending on the intensity of that original rejection, of that original shame, original feeling of worthlessness or powerlessness, if that was intense or even close to traumatic, you carry this with you for the rest of your life. And that determines your behavior in the later stage of your life. It really kind of redefines the term self-limiting belief in that way. If you think about the metaphor of the sun, you've got the sun of the self, you've got your internal characters and emotions clouding this and unable to access that. That really does identify why this is self-limiting. You put these in the way, you are now putting obstacles between you and the sun. And then to blend in the energy metaphor, the sun really is there to give you a lot of energy. When you can move those clouds aside, you can feel a lot more flow towards other things. And if you can't, like, uh, to your point, if you're going to experience rejection anyway, now you've used your energy on a self-limiting belief, like people pleasing, and then you've now felt the negative emotion anyway, when life inevitably will still create yeah. the rejections. Alex, it's just, I agree on that one, but just make, allow me to make a distinction here. The self-limiting belief is different. If you are rejected and you think, okay, nobody loves me, and you've been rejected again, oh, nobody loves me, and it happens a lot. You create a belief, I'm unlovable. And if you were shamed a few times, you create a belief, I'm not worthy. If you felt you're worthless a lot in your life, you think like, I'm not good enough. Those are the self-limiting beliefs you carry with you. And not you, your authentic self, because your authentic self has no limiting beliefs. It is the internal character which believes I'm unlovable. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. I can't do this. Those are the self-limiting beliefs which those internal characters carry. And in coaching, I also, well, this part of the coaching approach is, first of all, to identify the internal character, gain trust, because they do have good intentions. They protect me from feeling the original pain. And also then to unburn them from the self-limiting belief. I'm unlovable, I'm worthless, I don't belong here, I'm not good enough, whatever it is. And again, also, obviously, those self-being beliefs, they also carry a, a power and cost you energy to run around believing this. How successful can you be in life when you just walk around saying, well, I don't belong here, I'm unlovable. And it's sad to see, but they, again, go together, the self-limiting beliefs with the internal character and both of them protect you from feeling the original, emotionally painful experience. I like that distinction. Very good distinction. Do you ever, ever have clients who don't believe in internal characters? Yeah. And <laughs> that's why I also don't really try to explain those internal characters at the beginning. I just coach them in such a way that at one point of time, they realize, oh, yeah, he's talking about me having different uh, different minds or different internal characters here. And internal characters help to explain hypocrisy or ambivalence. It's easy to explain to people like, okay, yeah, shall I go and have Italian food tonight or shall I have Greek food tonight? One character likes this and one character likes this. If you have only one mind, how does that work? that you have a certain preference for this or preference for that. But when it comes to my clients, mostly unhappy at work, they have one character that says, well, get rid of that job tomorrow. Another character says, well, think about the financial consequences. Another character says, well, you're selfish. Another character says, well, what about my world trip I was dreaming about? So instantly I can introduce a couple of characters and they say, yeah, I hear that voice. Yeah, I hear that argument. Yeah, that, that makes sense. So very quickly they realize, yeah, I actually have many different characters in me with conflicting messages. And once you feel aware of those conflicting messages, but you don't act, then you feel stuck. Okay, yeah, I'm unhappy with the job, but I need to be aware of the financial consequences. Other people depend on me and so on. Back and forth, you, all the arguments out there, you don't do anything, you feel stuck. But that's how I talk about those internal characters and multiplicity of mind. And the poor I tries to patch this all together and make it coherent. That's why you're completely confused because people think, oh, okay. Today this and tomorrow that. People are completely confused about the I which tries to patch all of this together. 
So that brings up a really interesting point. How do you in start to distinguish between all the voices and the voice that you should be listening to or the voice that you, you're the truth self? People come up with whatever frustration they have in their lives. And I simply ask the question, how do you feel towards that? And if they say, yeah, it's, I feel compassion for this part of me which wants to quit the job or I feel curious learning more about the part of me which wants to quit the job or those kind of qualities are qualities of your authentic self. So that makes it quite easy just to check with them. How do you feel towards this? If there's something negative comes up, there's definitely a part interfering here. But if something like curiosity, compassion, what else is there? A sense of clarity, connectedness, all of that, if that comes through, I see, oh, the authentic self is here. And then we can just do the you know, further unblending and just like, okay, there's authentic self who feels compassionate about the part of you who is just sick and tired of your job. And then we can help the angel character at one point of time give up the protection and allow us to work or come closer to the emotional painful experience that internal character carries, including the self-limiting belief, I'm worthless, I'm, I'm lovable, and so on. And so you approach this a lot. Yeah, you talked about like in the beginning, you, you get people to ask, you ask people, where do you feel that in your body? Where are you feeling that frustration? How do you feel that? On the other end of things, when you have that clarity, do you find ways to access the physicality of essentially the opposite, the, the non-tension, the lack of the, the when you feel that clarity and authentic self? Is there a lot of physicality you can coach there too? No, it's just like trying to develop the sun. It doesn't work. Once you are in your authentic self, let's say you are confident, you're compassionate, and you see this how people in people's body postures, you see it how people articulate themselves, you see it in their breathing pattern. People are just calm, think clearly with a compassionate, open, connected view on the, on the world. Then I can see exactly Wow, they are in their authentic self. There's no internal character intruding here or over, you know, overshadowing the authentic self. So I don't really coach the authentic self. I focus on the clouds. I focus on the suppressed emotions and the internal characters. I can't really coach the authentic self. The authentic self is perfect. That's funny because that reminds me of, and I'm going to have to bring this up, the Euro Cup final yesterday watching the goalkeeper and the penalty kicks, the Italian goalkeeper, and how, you know, when he caught the last two goals, penalty kicks, which is unheard of, that two of them get blocked in a row. But then the thing that everybody that I've seen articles on and people talk about is his calmness, how calm yeah. he was yeah. throughout the whole thing. And I truly believe it's because that was his job. That's his authentic self. And so he didn't have to figure out who to be or how to do something that was uncomfortable. It was like, it was his moment. That's yeah. what he was there to do. And he did it. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. And calm is a quality of the authentic self. He was just his authentic self and he did his job. Perfect. It definitely makes sense, especially in the idea of not developing authentic self, which really is that comfort. And that's why you have so much more energy, because you have no energy spent on not feeling calm, feeling comfortable. You have that that connectedness. I like that description of it. It feels yeah. connected. Yeah. How do you see the way that your clients or anybody, because clearly even people that don't come to you are walking around with internal characters taking over. How do you see them impacting their lives with other people. So how they relate to others when they're constantly fighting this armor or taking on the armor to show up. Conflictuous because they're not their true selves. And it just creates friction. And well, we already covered the aspect of spending too much energy. But if you're not in your authentic self, basically you are inauthentic. And when you are inauthentic, at work or at home or with your friends. Obviously, this has results, negative results on your friendships, on your relationships at work, on your relationship with your spouse. So the ideal is to be obviously in your authentic self. But if you are in character, even with your best friends, you're inauthentic. 
in the one point of time, I just wonder if, if they realize, like, why is that person our friend? Why do we just spend time with him? Because he's inauthentic. He's just trying to please. He's trying to be perfect. He's just trying to hyperachieve. He's trying to perform. Whatever it is, whatever the internal character wants or does in order to not feel the original pain. So it's toxic for the relationship between people. Definitely makes sense. I like what you've said about like you feel there's not, not room to develop self and that self-development is a, a tricky and conflicting term. How do you see, you know, like the world of, you know, self-help books and there's a lot of self-development, self-improvement content out there. I mean, this is like, uh, something that we like to talk about as well, ways to help improve that, which I think falls more back to like ways to get out of your own way, much more ways to like get rid or reduce the impact of things like internal characters. How do you feel about like just the state of the content and the self-help out there. I'm not a big fan, to be honest. When you look at the best-selling uh, self-help books on the planet, there are titles like uh, How to Improve Self-Confidence, How to Think More Positively, How to Be More Highly Efficient, whatever it is. My question to you is, who is reading that book? Is it your authentic self who needs to learn about how to make true friends, how to be highly efficient, how to uh, be self-confident? Your authentic self doesn't need to read any self-help book. So when you do grab a self-help book from a shelf and convinced it is an internal character that grabs that book because that internal character wants to off-balance a shortcoming. Because if you're a people pleaser, you're not good with conflicts, to give an example. So a people pleaser will pick the book how to be more aggressive, let's say. So the internal character likes to be obviously more functional, more accepted in society, at the workplace, uh, wherever. So the self-help book is being read by the internal character, not by the authentic self. So that's why I'm not a big fan of those self-help books. And to make matters worse, once you allow your people pleaser, your avoider, whatever internal character it is, and you allow that internal character to be more acceptable and offset any shortcomings, you even more identify with that character. And the more you identify with your internal character, the more you are removed from your authentic self. Because again, your authentic self does not need to read about how to be more efficient, how to overcome self-doubt. It doesn't. Your internal character does and that's why I'm not a big fan of self-help books because I find them even dangerous because you just reinforce the internal character. They completely blend for 100% with that character and you cut the connection even deeper, further with your authentic self. And that's sad. It's just, it's just sad. Yeah, it's a very good point. As I was listening to that, it reminds me of the fact that, yes, I mean, it's, we have to do the work. You can't do the work for me even as my coach. And yet, if we're stuck in this vortex of internal character and authentic self and all of that, how can we help ourselves by ourselves? It's almost a contradiction. Yeah, you can't because you're busy suppressing the original emotionally painful experience for years and decades. You need to have somebody holding that space for you to go there. You can't do this by yourself. You certainly can't do it with a self-help book. That's where, yeah, a life coach comes in to offer the space for you to feel safe, for your nervous system to feel safe, for your internal character to allow you access to the part which it's protect, which it's busy protecting. You can't do this by yourself, Christina. I highly agree. I like that answer. So you talked about if you let these internal characters get away for long enough, you can go, there's obviously you can eventually get to extreme physical symptoms like heart attacks and or hypertension, things like this. Or on the more internal side, you can also get to the point of things like burnout, which you mentioned earlier as well. You can get to a point where you're burnt out. You don't feel like you can access it anymore. So we've also talked about it can be a painful experience to go through this and get to that connected initial emotion where this started from to work through these protectors. If you have a client who comes in and they're already burnt out, how do you go about easing them into what will be a bit of a painful process to release these? I would have them feel, first of all, the physical sensation of whatever issue they're having. 
the frustration, the anger, the sadness, whatever the experience in the body. That would be the very first step. Another step would be to identify the dominant internal character. What are they? Are they perfectionist, people pleaser, avoider? What is the internal character? The dominant one, because we have multiple. And then the next step would be to gain confidence of that internal character because they do something positive. And in that sense, I actually don't like what the coaching world makes of those uh, internal characters. They call them saboteurs or internal critics or obnoxious roommates or whatever they call them. It's always negative. However, that internal character has a positive intent. It protects you from feeling that pain. So imagine now you're completely blended with an internal character and you call this internal character, oh, my obnoxious roommate, oh, my internal critic, oh, my saboteur, oh, my gremlin, all this coaching uh, wording, uh, which was uh, being around, which prevents you actually from creating a positive relationship with this protective internal character. That's why I don't use the words like internal critic. Granted, this internal critic or the internal character prevents you from living your dream prevents you from fulfillment, prevents you from going out and be your authentic self because this internal character loves the status quo. They don't want change. They prevent change. That's why they're called inner critic or saboteur. They sabotage any change. So I get where the word is coming from, but what I don't understand is why this internal character has such a bad reputation because it actually has a positive intent. It protects you. So... Then in the third step, we try to get the confidence of that internal character. And then, then the fourth step would be to yeah, allowance to come closer to that emotional experience, to that painful emotional experience, to feel the shame, to feel the rejection, to feel the powerlessness and worthlessness, to feel abandonment. And that's just that's when at that point of time I just keep quiet in the coaching. I let them be with it. And that's when they actually, they, they, yeah, they jump. They're just jumping off the cliff and they're just, they're just with that emotion for minutes, for half an hour. Once in a while, I'm checking in, obviously. But the beautiful thing is the nervous system realizes, wow, I'm not being overwhelmed by emotions. I'm not being, I'm carrying on breathing. I'm carrying on living. And it's just, then you see the shift. Then you see the release of all the, all the energy, which was like we used to actually keep that contained. And I want to make sure the very important point is that the nervous system could not care less about us being our authentic self. The nervous system is just there to keep us safe and to keep us alive. But it's a different thing. What we need to survive is different from what we need to live. The nervous system just needs fear and pain to keep us alive. If we can't feel pain, we're gonna die. If you cut your finger and you're not thinking it's painful, then uh, you're gonna carry on cutting and then you die. So we need the pain. And we also need the fear because we need to learn that this was painful. So our nervous system's interest is keeping us safe, keeping us alive, and it needs the pain and the fear to do its job. That's the nervous system. Couldn't care less about our authentic self. But what it takes to live is we want to live without fear and without the pain. And that's the flip side. And that's we're in between. Our nervous system just needs pain and fear to keep us alive. And we don't want to feel any fear and pain from living. So we need to balance in between. When we tend to focus on the side, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel shame. I don't want to feel guilt. I don't want to feel whatever. And there in comes the the binge watching and the binge drinking and the therapy shopping and sex and porn, and I don't know what it is, and drugs, you name it, because we want to feel good. But who says, for the authentic self, who says that we need to feel good 24-7? Being your authentic self means accepting pain, accepting fear. People think, well, my authentic self is ideal. My authentic self has only positive aspects. No. If you want to be your authentic self, accept pain except fear. It was a long answer. But this is the last step, Alex, and in the coaching process, just for the clients to be with that feeling, 
And however long it takes just to for the nervous system to process being with that emotion, being with that shame, rejection, whatever it is. I really love that distinction. And I love the idea of the nervous system being there to protect you. I think it's a very worthwhile thing to highlight again, because we get wrapped up in the idea of like, well, how could I possibly be you know, doing things that are essentially making me unhappy or you know, making me feel hiding away or, or in more pain, essentially through coping mechanisms, whatever. And that I like that distinction because it's a good reminder that there are multiple parts of your body. Your body is there to try and keep you alive and the nervous system is there to keep you alive. That it that, that is not at all predicated on being fulfilled. That's something we can accomplish if we're willing to go through the work of it. And both are very much worthwhile so that you can live while you're surviving. Yeah. The nervous system couldn't care less if we live our authentic self. Couldn't care less. And it's not meant to be caring. It's just there to assure our survival and about feeling safe. That's, that's what it does. It has those neurochemicals at hand to produce those feelings, which I mentioned before. That's how we learn. That's how we adapt our behavior. Oh, okay, that was painful. Now we create a fear. The fear is the emotional part. And okay, we, now we learn. Okay, cutting my finger with a knife, that hurts. Okay, now I have a fear towards coming too close with my finger. I'm learning. I'm adapting my behavior based on pain. Now we created the fear. However, the fear doesn't feel good. Like many other emotions don't feel good. So what do we do when we come across emotions that doesn't feel good? Oh, we just ignore it. We suppress it. We put it away. And where it's being stored in the, in the body. That's why... I just cannot imagine not dealing with the client's body. There's so much potential left on the table if we don't appreciate that portion of it. Yeah, there is. Well, and I like the explanation about the fact that pain doesn't equal bad. You know, pain to the point where we die clearly doesn't have a good consequence. But if we think about working out or, you know, going on a long hike or any type of physical exercise, which a lot of people I think can relate to is... We know it's going to be painful at some point if we push ourselves, but we do it anyway. So it's not bad. It makes us stronger. It makes us, makes our blood flow. It makes our mind clear. Whatever the goal is and whatever the consequence is, we do it anyway. So we know that pain doesn't necessarily equal bad. And yet for feelings, there's that avoidance of like, oh, no, I never want to feel that way again, because I don't know that I will be able to survive it. And I love your process of like, you can survive it. And that's the power. It's recognizing that you can be in the painful feelings and also be proud of yourself when you realize, oh, wait, I'm still here. Everything is actually OK. Yeah. And Christina, what you, example you mentioned was exercising. Instantly, me as a coach, instantly, I think like, who's exercising? Is it the authentic self, which wants to be standing on the treadmill or lifting 100 kilos uh, per arm? Or is it an internal character, which wants to, <laughs> I have to look at Alex now, are you going to the gym? So who's going to the gym here? Is it your authentic self? Or is it an internal character which says, you know what, in order to feel safe, in order to get approval, attention, in order to get care and love, perhaps even praise, perhaps I need to go to the gym. So instantly, when I see a behavior, an excessive behavior, I think like, who is doing this? Is it the internal character or is it the authentic self? 10 out of 10 times, it's the internal character. And then I just, okay, so this behavior allows you to feel love. This behavior allows you to get attention. This behavior allows you to get approval. This behavior allows you to get praise. What is behind that behavior? Which internal character makes you behave that way? And what emotion is this character protecting you from feeling? Once you actually accept and integrate that feeling, perhaps you wouldn't go to the gym. Very good point. Well, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. So we have talked about, you have talked about the authentic self the whole time on this as being the, the core of how we, how we get to our son. How do we show our son and uncover it from the clouds? What does authenticity mean to you? Dare to be the original you are. That would be my definition of authenticity. And I cannot, being an embodied life coach, I need to add that just check in with your body. Because once you are your authentic self, you speak confidently, you stand in confidence, 
you are confident. And it just shows everywhere. So if you want to focus on being authentic, just yeah, check in with your body where you are inauthentic and where you are feeling sensations which you tend to suppress. That's my definition of being authentic. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that. Be the original you are. <laughs> just let me add that there are distinctions between the internal character and the authentic self. The internal character has the goal. And the main goal is mainly not to feel the original painful experience. The authentic self doesn't have a goal. It has a purpose. Another distinction is that the authentic self lives by values. The internal characters, they live by rules. The authentic self, in addition, also tends to act, while the internal characters tend to react. So if you are busy with a goal, you're busy reacting, and you love your rules, by definition, you are in internal character. If you have the big picture of a purpose, you live by values, and you tend to act. This is your authentic self. And you want to be there. You want to be acting. You want to live your purpose, and you want to live by your values. That's how you can distinguish between an internal character and your authentic self. And I have an inquiry for the audience. I ask my clients to be or to have a deep connection with your authentic self is missing in my life. And to have a deep connection with your authentic self is the most scary thing I can imagine. That's a great add-on. And we are in between because people come to coaching and say, well, I'm missing my authentic self. And my question is, I'm willing to go there. Of course, it may be scary. Because, yeah, because of all the emotions you're suppressing. And we just try to navigate life in between those extremes. I want to be my authentic self. But be my authentic self, oh, no, that's scary. That's a really good point. And I love what you said also about there being so much connectedness and this being a journey that is very, is impossible to do on your own. So in that regard, how do people find you? How do people find and connect with your work? I'm only on LinkedIn. Don't have Instagram, uh, Facebook, anything else. Matthias Hartman slash embodied. That's my LinkedIn profile. Or I have a website, E-M-B-O-D-H-I dot O-N-E one, like the figure one embody.one. So that's my website and happy to talk to tons of people about what we talked about today, about their authentic self. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And thank you everybody for listening. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Uncover the Human, a Siamo podcast. Special thanks to our podcast operations wizard, Jake Lara, and our score creator, Rachel Sherwood. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share, review, and subscribe. You can find our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. We would love to hear from you with feedback, topic ideas, or questions. You can reach us at podcast at wearesiamo.com or at our website, wearesiamo.com, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. We Are Siamo is spelled W-E-A-R-E-S-I-A-M-O. Until next time, listen to yourself listen to others, and always uncover the human.